It's the TEH Podcast, episode 110. I'm Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. So how's your week been going? I understand it's a little hot down there. It, it's still hot. I cannot wait for the weather to break. And I mean, just to get it, it, days that only go into the 80s. I mean, it's... <laughs> It, you know, I'll take it. Sometimes when it's cold, the winter, you know, I'll bundle up and go for a walk. Right. And then I feel like, oh, you know, I really, I want to wait for the weather to warm up. But let me tell you, the heat sometimes is worse because there's nothing I could do. Right. I, at 99 today, I'm not going for a walk. It's, I mean, if it's, just, if it's too cold, you can put on more clothes, but yeah. there's only so many you can take off, and especially exactly. if you're going out in public. Uh, exactly. um, yeah, and, and I'll admit, I mentioned this last week to you off, off the air that um, uh, the room that I'm in when I record this uh, is currently heating up. It's a sunny day here. I mean, it's like, you know, 70-something, 80-something outside, and, but the room is in uh, full afternoon sun, so it kind of mm. starts to warm up after a while, and, and my... Um, AC slash furnace is currently being worked on. But uh, that means that this room is slowly heating up. And yes, I proactively took off my shirt beforehand, which is, um, uh, you know, one of those things that makes me glad that this is a podcast and, sure. not, a, and not a vlog. I know. We're, we're, like, <laughs> we're like some of the few people that use Zoom for audio only. Audio only, point. yes, yes. Uh, but it's it funny because it a, a lot of the podcasts that I listen to, uh, they're using Zoom to do the recording, absolutely. But there are often uh, clues, and sometimes they'll just be, you know, uh, write out about it, that they actually do are running the video so that they can see one another while they're talking. Um, mm. And I get that. I mean, there's definitely some visual cues uh, that can, I suppose, uh, make the make the discussion a little bit more I don't know engaging or whatever uh, you know the fact is you know like those, you, you won't know if I'm flipping you off for example <laughs> uh, which is fine but it's it's one of those things where you know no and to me it's, it's also about bandwidth I have to wonder on a lot of those podcasts when all of a sudden somebody's audio starts to go out just a little bit if maybe they couldn't have solved that by just turning off the camera yeah yeah that's true it's, it takes a lot more bandwidth for uh for zoom especially the more people you have involved and uh, everything so it's so. interesting because zoom seems like it's a tool that many people are using to solve a specific problem uh, yes. which it may not be the right the exact right tool well yeah so so <laughs> i had i had an idea for this episode and i pitched it to you leo and you agreed to do it um and it is that we should examine something called the XY problem. So the XY problem is something I've known has been around for a long time, but I didn't know it had a name. And a couple of weeks ago, I was shocked to learn that it had this name in a Wikipedia page that describes this problem that I have and that you have, and it's kind of unique to the kind of thing that we do. And it, the XY problem, you know, the, the description of it really got me thinking about it in new ways, and I've been obsessed with it over a few weeks. So let me, let me describe <laughs> what the XY problem is. I'm going to actually read from the Wikipedia page just the first few sentences here. The XY problem is a communication problem encountered in help desk and similar situations in which the real issue, X, of the person asking for help is obscured because instead of asking directly about issue X, 
They ask how to solve the secondary issue, why, which they believe will allow them to resolve issue X. So, in other words, somebody has a problem on their computer. This seems to happen a lot with computers. Somebody has a problem. They come up with a partial solution. Oh, I could fix this if only I knew how to do this. And then they proceed to ask an expert, somebody like you or me or somebody at the help desk or genius bar or whatever, how to to solve that specific problem without ever revealing that there is an overriding reason why they're asking for this. And I used to just think it's people don't like to tell you why. Why not why the letter Y, but W H Y. People don't. They will ask a a something like, "How do I turn my Bluetooth off and then on again?" With a simple keyboard shortcut or something like that. And when you ask a question like that, it's like, "Why would you want to do that?" I right. mean, it's on. The end result is you want it on, but you want to turn it off and then on again. And this is the question they pose. And so I'll go back and I'll say, why do you want to do that? Maybe I can come up with a solution for your problem if you tell me what the actual problem is. And they'll say, oh, I have this Bluetooth mouse that sometimes loses, the mouse sometimes loses a connection. And if I turn Bluetooth off and on again, it fixes it. And I'm like, oh, okay. So your problem really is that right. you have a, a, a Bluetooth mouse that's disconnecting. I didn't know that from the question that you asked because you assumed a solution and you asked for how to do that solution rather than what the problem was. Uh, you could do this. This could be in real life, too. Like I was thinking somebody could ask a gardening expert, uh, how do I get more water to go through my sprinkler system? I need more water. And, you know, you might go and say, oh, OK, well, this is an irrigation problem. And you have to look into your sprinkler heads and your water pressure and all that. But it could turn out after much back and forth and much wasted time that really what it comes down to is their grass is turning brown. <laughs> and they think the solution is more water. Right. And if you just ask the person the, that question at the beginning, my grass is turning brown, they may have said, oh, well, let's talk about fertilizers. Or let's talk about shade. Or maybe you don't have the right type of grass for your environment. There are lots of possible solutions. And just getting the answer to how to get more water on the lawn may not actually solve the problem. It may, or it may solve the problem, but not in the best way. Right. So do you come across this all the time, I assume. Every single day. Yes. (laughs) Right. I mean, it is the nature of technical support. It it really is. Um, I've often characterized my job as translating from uh, tech, you know, being basically being a glorified search engine to locate an answer and then uh, translating whatever that answer turns out to be into, into English that real people can understand. But part of that being a glorified search engine is understanding what the question is that's being asked. And yes, sometimes um, that absolutely means uh, that you're actually looking beyond the specific question that was asked of you and looking for you know, especially over time, I'm sure you have this too. There are a set of common questions that fall into this category. So whenever somebody asks about, um, uh, let's see about, I'm trying to get my X's and Y's right here. Yes. So whenever somebody asks about X, mm-hmm. 
they're really they're usually asking about why. So yeah. I'll actually provide the answer for why instead of X, right? Uh, in other words, I won't answer their question, but I'll answer what they were really trying to solve because this scenario plays out so often. It, it um, does. The, yeah. the example that I read that I was thinking of again, it's very common, and it's actually made, been made a little bit more. Uh, frequent due to changes in windows. The question I'll get is how do I make the font in the menus bigger? All right. They want a control that allows them to make the font in uh, all of windows menus bigger. And the reason that's, that this is, um, uh, frustrating, at least from a Windows user's perspective, is that you used to be able to do this. There were, in fact, controls in Windows 7 and before that allowed you to specifically tweak the font size, and I think even the font that was being used, in the various menus, and only the menus in Windows. Of course, the real problem, the problem that people are trying to solve by increasing the font size, is that they're having trouble reading the screen. They're having trouble seeing and there are oodles of different solutions in Windows or in browsers or in whatever uh, that, uh, that actually address the real problem and address it in a better way, address it in a, in a way that, is, that, that not only solves the menus but everything else you're looking at, but also um, uh, is more compatible with all the applications that have to respond to um, a slightly more standard set of controls. So, um, yes, this happens all the freaking time. Yeah, I, I get that same question sometimes too. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and yeah, I guess there's times that we get those and we get the Y and we immediately know the X. Oh yeah, I know what yep. they really want. But there's <laughs> there are other times. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. When it's when it just I have no idea what they really want. They're asking yep. something really bizarre, yep. and I need to go back. It, previously, I was always saying it could really help me to find a solution for you if you tell me why you would like to do this. What's the problem that, you know, you're trying to solve? And actually I had it, so right after I uh, basically sent you a message kind of through our system here of saying, hey, do you want to just talk about this in the episode? I had a great example, not of how the XY problem could make it easier to solve uh, somebody's problem, but actually to... Uh, from the other perspective, like to get your answer, like, because when you're asking for help, especially for free from somebody like you or me, um, you also want to motivate that person to say, mm -hmm. hey, you know, help me out. Um, and sometimes a confusing question that's lacking in details or seems bizarre is not going to get a speedy response because mm -hmm. time is limited and stuff. So I got a question minutes afterwards. And the question was this, it was in a, in a spreadsheet. How could I uh, have somebody's name in there and then each letter of the name be tied to a number and then the number totaled up. So A would be one, B would be two, et cetera, and then total the number up. And I thought, what? A, why, would you, why, why would you want to do that? <laughs> it, it's like clearly this is a, an XY problem. There is some, there, I'm sure the person is. is just saying, hey, I just, I just had this idea. I want to try to figure it out. I'm sure there's so as, a reason. As an aside, though, it's possible that this is a real question, that this is the question. And the reason I say that, and I'm sure you run into this as well, is I get students asking me to do their homework all the time. Yeah. And yeah. As soon well, as you described it, it's like, okay, this was somebody's homework problem. <laughs> well, so, so I, I responded with my usual, like, can you tell me what, what problem are you trying to solve? Why, right. why are you trying to do this? Right. 
And I got a response that explained exactly the same thing again. I'm trying to do the letters to the numbers and all that. It didn't really help. So I gave it one more go. Right. And I said, if I really knew like what the root problem was that you were trying to solve with this, maybe I could help. And I got a answer that shocked me. <laughs> I, I got, it was basically a, a couple sentences. And the first part uh, was a typical thing that, um, well, it basically said, well, numerology, you know, you add up the numbers in your name and you come up with a number and that number means something, right? Okay. And as soon as I read that, I was like, oh, okay. This just went to the bottom of the priority pile. Not a right? fan of numerology, are we? Yeah, there are any, <laughs> any stuff like that. So this just went, oh, this is an interesting problem, you know, from a spreadsheet perspective, but I, I'm not going to make this a priority. Maybe tonight while I'm watching TV. I don't know. I don't know. But fortunately, that wasn't the actual root problem. And the person got it that I actually wanted to know the real X. The next sentence says, because I met this cute girl that's into numerology, and she did this by hand. And I thought if I showed her how to do this on the computer, maybe I can get her phone number. Ah. Instantly, <laughs> with the actual real reason, I sprung into action. Let's get <laughs> so, this guy a date. I'm a romantic. I'm <laughs> yeah. a romantic. So, so, I mean, it was literally like from one sentence, it was like, oh, I don't want to answer this question. And I don't know if I'll get to this. To stop everything. Hide all windows, <laughs> launch numbers. I'm going to figure this out and get a response as quickly as I can to this person. But you see how that the XY problem there played out was that by actually telling me the why, the, what he wanted to know, then uh, not only was I able to solve his problem, but it motivated me to solve it because <laughs> I, knew what the, I knew what the real issue was. That's why it's important to include all that information. It is interesting because one of the things that you and I hear all the time, how important storytelling is in terms of getting a message across, right? When we write our articles or when we're trying to, it's, it's like standard writer's advice. Mm. People engage in a story. People get, you know, it's, it's, you don't just present facts, you present a story behind it, give the story some context. And what strikes me is that, honestly, that's just as true for the questions people ask, right? Yes. If you tell me this story about why you're doing this, I mean, I don't, you don't need to necessarily write paragraphs and paragraphs of backstory, but just a, a hint or a clue like that can make a huge amount of difference. Like you said, it, it's very, very motivating. I love it. Well, it is, it is interesting to hear because there are some people that naturally do it correctly. And sometimes they are the least tech-savvy people because yes. I'll get those questions uh, that, you know, somebody, I'm not very good with computers, but what I like to do is store my recipes on the computer and do it in a way, you know, and, and by doing that, they're telling me exactly what I need to know. Yep. So by being some of the least tech-savvy, they actually know how to ask the question correctly. And it trips you up by being more tech-savvy, saying, you know, how can I search for things in files? Oh, what are you trying to do? You know, and then you have to figure but, it uh, all out. It's interesting because the, the problem is that people make assumptions. And yeah. uh, very often those assumptions, uh, you know, th they're based on the knowledge that they have of how they believe the system works. And yes, you know, there are ways in a spreadsheet to calculate numerology. That's fine. The backstory helps a lot. But um, uh, very often the assumptions that they make are, are absolutely wrong. And what causes what that does is it causes them to answer. I'm sorry, ask the wrong question. 
right? Not only is it not the real question, but because they're pursuing a, um, um, a specific answer that they think they need, they're asking about something that actually doesn't apply to their problem. Mm-hmm. I'm actually uh, right now going back and forth with an individual who has multiple email accounts and uh, is asking me, let's see, what is it? It's basically uh, Microsoft is in the process of, depre- of deprecating Internet Explorer. And apparently um, on this system, at least, if you try and fire up Internet Explorer, it actually automatically switches you over to Edge, which this person had already been using. And what they've been doing is they've been using um, Edge to open one email account with one email provider and using Internet Explorer to open a different email account with a different email provider. So all of a sudden now what they see and what they're reporting is that, gosh, these two email accounts must be related to one another because when I open um, you know, the one I've got in Edge, it's fine. But when I go to open the one in IE, it automatically goes to Edge and opens the same account, the account that I already have open. Um, you know, they're doing something, you know, behind the scenes. When in fact, as you can probably guess, you know, if you have one email provider, um, not Gmail does this properly or allows you to do this, but many of them don't. And I believe the provider here is Yahoo. Um, you can actually have only one Yahoo account open mm. at a time per browser. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, that's the problem that they're facing, but they were looking for a completely different solution. Uh, you know, like how do I get IE to keep coming up or how do I make this thing stop? Where in fact, long-term, the answer you really want is how do you switch away from IE because it's going away, like it or not. Uh, so yeah, this is these are the kinds of things that we face every day. I do want to ask you something though, because you you pointed out that uh, it's it's in a person's best interest to provide enough information, uh, or at least mm-hmm. make the attempt to provide enough information, even if it's even if it's the wrong information, right? Not necessarily the invita- in, information we need. Um, I have struggled with this for years. Uh, very much so. Um, I have a form on Ask Leo. Actually, mm-hmm. I have a couple of them. I like the direction you're going because that's where I'm headed to. <laughs> where I where I have people, uh, you know, enter their question, mm-hmm. and above that form are instructions, and mm-hmm. in fact, a link to an article that describes here's the kind of information that really, 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 really helps me to answer your question. The more information, the better information you can provide, the more likely you are to get an answer to your question. Uh, And of course, the percentage of people that actually follow those instructions is frighteningly low. Yeah, right? it's it's amazingly low. Uh, yeah. um, they'll they'll type in like a five word question and think they're going to get an answer. And of course, they're not. Um, if I'm if if the five words are interesting, right? Like if, if, it, if it sounds like it might lead to a, a romantic story, then, then I'll probably ask for more information. But in my case, because I get enough questions, um, it's very common that I'll just have to say, nope, sorry, you didn't follow the instructions. I'm not answering your question. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I did on the form is I added a required dropdown that at least forced people to tell me what version of Windows they were using. Hmm. Um, And not all questions involve Windows. So I have to have 
uh, you know, an option for it's not Windows or this doesn't not this doesn't apply or it's a Mac question or something like that. Um, and that at least helps me, uh, especially during the transition from um, XP through seven through um, uh, through Windows eight and Windows ten, helped a lot. Now, of course, most of the questions are about Windows ten, so that that drop down is less valuable. But it's about the only thing that I could force people to answer because of the wide range of questions that I uh, that I get. And I'm sure you suffered from the same problem. So, where were you headed on this? Where what kind of how are you solving this problem? Well, so I already have. Uh, when people ask me a question, I have a long form with lots of instructions in an attempt to try to get better questions from people. Right. And, and of course, m- most of the questions, people just ignore everything <laughs> that's there. Uh, first, I start with an explanation that if something's broken, chances are I'm not going to be able to fix it. Like if something's not working the way you expect, then you need to call Apple, go to the Genius Bar, you know, whatever. Because if it's not working the way you expect, I'm not going to be able to come up with a solution because it's working different than what it should be. And, and yeah, so I have that. But yet, uh, still about half my questions are basically, why is this not working or how do I fix this? <laughs> so people clearly aren't reading that. Right. Um, the second thing I ask them, this is the current way, and, and I'm in the process of trying to come up with a new way. The second thing I ask them is a title because I want to just have a summary, one sentence, you know, how do yes. I compress video, you know, something like that. Yep. And I, I put this in steps because I think people like numbers. So step one, step two, step three. Step one is pick a title for your question. It should be at least six to 12 words long and, and end in a question mark and a little more information, <laughs> and then examples like in red, bad title, iMovie question, good title, how do I change the volume of a clip in iMovie? Bad title, just got a new iPhone, exclamation point. Good title, how do I get new ringtones for my iPhone, question mark, and a few other examples like that. Then it says question title, and the, the uh, placeholder text, the gray text that's there until you start typing, actually says, how do I blank with a question mark at the end. Despite even being prompted to actually type just like that, people will do like iMovie compression as the question title. It's like I had the how do I right there for you and a question mark at the end, yet you still just typed, you know, iMovie compression. And it's not like, oh, well, the way they, their, their question doesn't fit that model. Most of the time, I look at it, and within the first five seconds of answering the question, I change the title because it'll become the title of the page eventually. Oh, right. Yep. To yep. how do I, and, you know, it's like it wasn't hard for me to come up with a how do I based on right. what they were asking. So, so most people fail at that. And then step two is describe what you are trying to do. And uh, then, you know, include details, you know, all this stuff like that. And people ask the questions here. And then I get a variety of stuff from people asking very detailed, good questions uh, with everything I need in there to people asking very long uh, questions that still don't have the details in them uh, to having short questions that are totally missing all that and have this XY problem uh, involved with it. Um, So I'm thinking... I, there's got to be a better way. There's got knowing what the problem is. Can I prompt people to do things better? So I'm trying to come up with a system where, first of all, I want to get rid of all the rest of the stuff on my site. Like when you go to ask a question, I want it to clear the screen, the banners, the sidebars, everything goes away because I want people to really not see a wall of stuff 
and just if I have two sentences prompting you for the next thing, I want you to take the time to read those two sentences. So I'm going to do that, like a design thing. Mm-hmm. But then I'm going to also just ask things one at a time. So instead of showing you a form where you could say, oh, the next one is write my description, mm-hmm. I just want to show you one thing at a time so that you don't feel like, oh, I need to race through this form, get to that submit button at the bottom. You know, um, and the first thing I thought is uh, ask, just ask for a short version of the question and tell them right off that they can add details later. You know, in, in, you know, you'll be asked for details later. Right. right now, use one to three sentences to describe your problem. So not hit them with any X, Y stuff, <laughs> and, but just tell them that you don't need to go into detail here. You don't need to launch into things. Because sometimes people start with very detailed things, and I'm like, I don't know what they want yet. I'm three paragraphs in, and I still don't know what they want. <laughs> They're describing everything leading up to that. Right. So do that. This, now, before I had the title at the top, you know, summarize your question, you know, your problem with one question. I'm going sa- to save that to the end. I'm going to see if that makes a difference. Like if I ask them first to describe their problem mm-hmm. and some other things, and then just before the submit, say, now can you summarize this in one sentence that's a question? And I'm wondering if that will get me better results there. That'll be and, fascinating. And, yeah, so I'm, I'm interested in that. The other thing is, is that the second thing, after they describe in one to three sentences what their problem is, then I'm going to hit them with a uh now think about what you're asking. What problem are you trying to solve? Describe the problem you're trying to solve here. Now I'm hoping that that gets them to say, well, I just, as you said, I want to turn Bluetooth on and off. So what could he want here? Huh, well, maybe I should explain why. And I'm hoping that this might be the trigger here. Instead of trying to say, before you tell me what you, know, what you want, try to think of the root problem, you know, I'm going to let them get it off, get, you know, get it off their chest first. Right. You know, I know you're dying to ask uh, me how to turn Bluetooth, Bluetooth off and on, you know, right away. Ask that now take a step back now that you've gotten that done. I, I like the idea of letting them get it off their chest first. Yeah. Um, I am skeptical. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Um, it's a percentages game, right? I'm not trying course, to solve it 100%. I'm trying to see if I can The one thing you it. mentioned that I, I really kind of like, and I have to think about this some, uh, do you have a SurveyMonkey account? Uh, I don't know. Probably. For, I usually use Google Docs, you know, the Google Forms for so surveys. So one, one of the neat things about SurveyMonkey mm-hmm. is that they have different styles of surveys. Mm-hmm. And they actually have that style where you don't get the next question, even on a single page. They don't display the next question until you've answered the previous one. Yes. And um, I like it. I like it a lot, actually. Yeah. There has to be some kind of a, there has to be some kind of a clue that, um, uh, that there is, you know, you don't have to, (laughs) one of the comments I was going to, going to share with you is that I have a subject line. I just call it a subject, and it says brief idea of the subject or topic. It's not even yeah. forcing them to answer a question. I have had people write paragraphs in this one field. <laughs> it is a very small edit box, and they have like gone into incredible depth into what is normally a one-line field. So I put a length limit on it. 
It's actually yeah. limited to 50 characters. And then I had somebody complain that there wasn't enough room for them to describe their problem, even though there was a field right two, two steps below that actually um, had, you know, had plenty of room for the entire question. So my, my, what's going to be important for this to succeed, regardless of the solution, is that it be clear that, yes, yes, there's going to be room. We're going to be asking you for more details. But for now, this step, Step yes. one of six or something like that um, is yeah, just summarize or, or give me your name. As a quick aside to our listeners, um, yes. my machine just crashed. And what you're hearing now is us trying to diagnose <laughs> the real problem. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, it's, it just froze on my side. It just, just froze. And um, the reason I'm concerned is that when I came up here, uh, in preparation for today's uh, podcast, the machine was frozen and I had to hard reset it. And I, you know, it seemed to come up just fine. Uh, so I'm hoping that this won't happen again. Yes. I guess we'll find out. We'll find out. But meanwhile, we were way. talking about, oh, the forms, putting you, you, you like the idea of the, um, that one question would be presented at a time. Yeah, I guess you'd call it a progressive form. Progressive, it's it's, yeah, it's yeah. a scenario that, like I said, SurveyMonkey does and does well. I'm actually, you know, very selfishly wondering, hmm, I wonder if I can embed Survey SurveyMonkey onto one of my pages so that I can have SurveyMonkey collect the questions for me. But we'll we'll see where that goes. Yeah, I'm just coding. <laughs> I'm just coding mine in JavaScript because that's what I do. Because uh, <laughs> exactly. I'm a geek and I love it. Um, I'm... I, I do want to see, like, you know, I do want to make sure that I say, okay, yeah, you can provide details later. Right. I don't need to tell them that, oh, you need to provide a title later because I don't want to, I don't, I want that to be a surprise at the end. There's only four steps, but, you know, there'll be the fifth step will be, you know, name and email address, um, uh, you know, and, well, we'll, we'll see. I, I'm probably going to develop this over a few days and then I might test it out right or what i mean it's not really a big deal to test something like this out i mean it's not like it's not like i mean people ask me questions and i answer for free <laughs> like with you right. so it's like if if there's an an issue where somebody doesn't like how it works i mean i'll figure it out over a few weeks but it's not sure. like a lot of other situations where you you know it might be critical I and mean, if we were if we were selling uh widgets or whatever and this was our support site you know we wouldn't want to have a bad support right. site um but you don't not, have so, to get this perfect out of the gate so yeah, yeah it'll be it'll be interesting I, i'm i'm very curious as to uh, what kind of changes give you what kind of results because it is very much a uh, um, you know, a real problem that I've had, like I said earlier, for 17 years. The, uh, the, the, the concern that I have, you were talking about having like, you know, the two-step question, basically, it says, you know, okay, tell me your problem. You know, mm -hmm. uh, where does it, where does it hurt? Yes. And, but then you want to say, okay, you know, okay, now thinking about your problem, what are you really trying to solve? Right. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm really concerned that, uh, well, it's no skin off your nose. My right. guess is that 99% um, of the people will not fill in that field unless it's required, which it probably shouldn't be. Mm. And um, uh, of those that actually do fill in that field, most of them will either restate the problem or uh, just say, see previous answer. <laughs> well, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. And, and I'll make adjustments 
um, after that. And also, you know, I'm trying to, you know, with the with the progressive uh, thing here, I want to try to make it something like a step closer to text chat. You know, ideally, this would be something where there'd be like a prompt and it would be like an old adventure game. You know, what sort of problem are you having, question mark? And you type like, uh, this is what's happening. Oh, that sounds interesting. What, why do you need to do this? You know, give me some background information, you know, and, and it'll be back and forth kind of thing. I mean, I'm not gonna go fully there, although it's, kind it's of in my mind, I like to. It's less of an adventure game and more of Eliza. Remember Eliza? <laughs> yes, it very, oh, do I remember? I programmed Eliza. It was many times because I used- um, Why do you, you know, feel that, was, that way? Yes. Yeah. That was a that was a programming project and you know when i got my computer science degree and anybody with a computer science degree somewhere in their freshman year had to program eliza now for those listening i have no idea what we're talking about for the youngsters in the crowd yes, yes. Uh, eliza is a famous computer program that goes way back that actually is kind of funny because what it what it does basically is it's a text parser and it just you type something it would prompt you and it would be like a psychoanalyst which of course was a popular thing back in the 50s when computer science was developing and it would prompt you, you know, and, you know, tell me your problem or whatever. I forget how it started out. And I you would remember. say something like, uh, you know, oh, I'm feeling depressed today. And then it would just parse that text and throw something back at you like, well, tell me why you're feeling depressed. You know, it was just using the words you said and throwing them back at you like an old fashioned psychoanalyst might. And then every once in a while, maybe ask you how it relates to your mother or your father or something like that. And the story goes that uh, when it, this was first uh, done, it was basically, can it fool people into thinking that it's an actual person chatting with them? Because very early computers had the ability in the earliest terminals to chat from terminal to terminal. And the idea that the computer itself would be able to respond to you now makes sense because we've seen it in movies and television shows and everything for two generations. But back then, that was ridiculous. Like nobody would even, it wouldn't even occur to anybody that the computer was actually responding. So the idea was to have uh, this and you know, you'd sit somebody down at the computer and say, oh, chat with this there's a psychoanalyst in another room or in another state or something. And, you know, how long can you keep them going before they realize that there was no other person? It was just a computer program that was actually talking to them. Uh, and it was kind of a joke. But it, it was good for learning certain things in computer science about parsing text and uh, what people write. That's an interesting approach. I mean, it really is. It's it's a lot. Um, you know, it was a precursor to many of the uh, tech support bots we have these yes. days that yes. that have um, a much richer vocabulary that they're analyzing as they take your response. Or even in. Siri and Alexa and sure, sure. I'm also thinking of things like um, uh, what was it? I had a I had to. Uh, call up my mobile provider, Verizon, for some support the other day. Mm. And of course, they try really, really, really hard to get you to use their um, automated system. Mm. And they actually have the one where you get to ask your question in English, and then they try and figure out what it is. Uh, so it's, it's kind of, you know, those kind of situations as well. I kind of like the idea of, of presenting this almost as a chat, in a way. And... Yeah. Um, 
collecting the results. And then, you know, at the close of the chat say, you know, thank you very much. I've collected all the information I need. I will send it off to Gary and someone may get back to you or whatever. Right. I mean, just, you know, so a very definite end to the chat, of course. I've got to be really tempted though, if I programmed it like that to ask like, how are you feeling about, (laughs) you know, how are you feeling about your Bluetooth turning on and off? You know, because that would be... So I did, while you were talking, of course, go look up Eliza on Wikipedia. It has its own Wikipedia page. It's oh, yeah. A-L-I-Z-A. And there's an example discussion there. You know, uh, somebody says, uh, uh, see, my boyfriend made me come here. Is it important to you that your boyfriend made you come here? He says, I'm depressed much of the time. I'm sorry to hear that you are depressed. It's true. <laughs> I'm unhappy. Can you explain what made you unhappy? You know, all those, I mean, that's that's... The conversation right. that's going on here, and it's pretty funny. And the and the uh, the name, of course, comes from uh, which call it uh, Pygmalion, right? The the play or book or whatever that uh, you know was uh, you know where they took uh, two rich guys took a uh, you know, street urchin from. 19th Eliza century Doolittle. England, yes. Eliza Doolittle, and and had a bet. Uh, could can you pass her off as a society, you know, high society uh, royalty type person? And that, of course, was made into uh, the uh, musical, right? You know, and uh, also what, what, into uh, the movie right. Trading Places. Among other <laughs> Wasn't things, that, yeah, yes. yeah, among other things. So you know, it's just it was one of those tro- you know, tropes, you know, that is yes. used to tell story archetype of a story. Uh, but, you know, the idea is in the computers. It's like, can you pass off this computer program as a real person? Uh, how well can you program your Eliza thing? You know, and that, that was the idea of the exercise in, in uh, computer science classes that I'm, I'm sure they must still do today is can you actually program something good enough? Um, it seems to actually be more applicable today than ever before, you know, with sure, digital assistance. Sure. It's, it's like this. It's like it's got to be AI 101. I mean, it's it yeah. just, you know, one of those, one of those introduction to, you know, um, um, artificial intelligence classes has to, has to mention ELISA, that, if yeah. not have people programming it. Programming it. It's kind of a Turing test too. You know, it's, it's, it's a vocabulary based Turing test. Can you trick somebody into thinking this is a real person um, or that the artificial intelligence is actually listening to what you're saying? Um, what I find interesting is that, um, you know, every once in a while, I do try the chats that are offered by various websites when I'm going for their support. And um, as good as they are, and some of them are quite, quite good, um, it doesn't take long for me to realize that I'm talking to a machine. Um, And I'm just wondering if that's because I talk to a machine all day long (laughs) in a way, and and I kind of know what to look for and what feels artificial, whereas, um, you know, your average consumer may not have that same level of awareness and may think that they're talking to a real person. And that's really all it takes, right, for this to be successful. If the customer walks away happy at the end of the day or at at the end of the conversation, does it matter who or what they were talking to? I'd almost prefer it. I mean, I prefer to go to websites to for support to find things. Um, of course. And, and then, you know, my, my first thing is, can I do this with some automated process? Is there a way for me to, to go to the website of the company and get what I need from them? If not, the next step is, is I, I do want to do it by chat, you know, because, uh, you know, it, it text chat, uh, which a lot of websites offer because um, it's not, it doesn't take all of my attention to do that. 
Right. I can I could type some text and say, yeah, this is the problem I'm having, and then go on and continue doing something, and then a minute later notice, oh, they've responded, and right. they ask me another question. Whereas if I'm on the phone, well, now that's this is a block of time. Like that's hundred percent of your attention. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I appreciate y'all. It's not that I can't tell it's a computer. It's I want it to be a computer as long as possible, <laughs> or and then a person, but a person that doesn't need my. 100% attention and everything. What so, I've noticed about some of those ones that turn out to be real people um, is that one of the ways you can tell that they're real people mm-hmm. is that the response times are uh, very, very inconsistent um, mm. and certainly not related to the question or, com- or data that you just gave them. So you know that they are in fact multitasking at the other end as well. They're probably handling several different conversations right. simultaneously. And bonus points for support uh, sites and companies that actually pay attention to the beginning part when you're talking to a bot and they say, you know, like I'm for a computer might be like, what type of computer do you have? You know, right. what operating system is running and all that. And, and really big negative on my part when it's finally, I'm transferring you to a representative. And the first thing to do is ask you to repeat that. So what, what type of, what version of the operating system are you using? It's like, I told your bot that that should have been something you read before you actually started talking to me. It's actually annoying when you've got a customer service where you have somebody's account, right? And you have to say, dial in your invoice number or something like that. Yeah. And then when you finally get to a real person, oh. the first question, what's the invoice number? Oh. Why did I type it in? Um, so to get back to the original issue, though, um, yes. getting people to ask the question that they, that they really should be asking. The XY problem. XY problem sounds like an uh, episode name of the Big Bang Theory. It, <laughs> it does, problem. actually. It does. Yeah. Uh, what I thought was interesting, sometimes the, um, uh, the answers, how do I want to put this? It's weird. Sometimes the XY problem leads you into a completely different place. And what reminded me of this is the example, one of the examples that they use in the Wikipedia page. Um, I'm going to take a, a, um, a clue from you and actually read this example. Um, a famous example of solving the wrong problem. Management was concerned about complaints that people had to wait too long for elevators. And so spent a lot of time and money researching how to schedule elevators to reduce the wait times. Sounds like a perfectly fine answer, right? Mm-hmm. Woolsey pointed out, the person who um, wrote the book that I'm, that's being quoted here, pointed out that they were trying to solve the wrong problem. The problem was that, quote, people were complaining The installation of large mirrors in the lobby gave people something to do, and the complaints were dramatically reduced. (laughs) So sometimes the problem, sometimes, again, it's a little confusing, but sometimes the problem that people are asking about really is the problem they're having. They're waiting too long in this case. Uh, Sometimes the answer may be, the X or the Y um, that didn't seem obvious from their question in the sense that it solves the problem, but would the people even have agreed that that was the problem that they were having, right? Uh, it's it's, it's well, an interesting you, different yeah. aspect to the problem. I think when you have the whole story, it it ultimately helps because even if we have the whole story of this elevator situation, right? Right. We, but that could have led to the right solution being that fixing the elevators was something that was going to take time and money and 
perhaps a year before oh, yeah. they could have gotten that done. In the meantime, tomorrow we could have mirrors up in the in the lobby or other things for people right. to do. So the correct solution may have been let's get some mirrors up there and let's start moving forward on an eventual solution that will speed up the elevators because right. obviously the best solution is to speed up the elevators because there's other side benefits to that as well. So having the complete story, just getting the people are complaining that doesn't lead to the right solution. Having elevators need to be faster, that's not the right solution. But knowing that people are complaining because they're bored, waiting for the elevators, right. and then saying, here's what we need to do, that does lead to the right solution, which is two-pronged. So, 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 yeah. How, I mean, aside from trying to get people to doing everything we know how to do to encourage people to um, enter the information on a form that we're asking for. Yes. Is there any hope? Well, I have something in place now that I may expand that does help a little bit because what I have now is when I get a question, I'm presented with a little screen that only I see. And I could type the response there and then hit submit and it takes care of all the, the tedious things of posting the question and notifying the person and all of that. Right. But I have other buttons that are not submit. <laughs> One of those buttons is a clarify it button. And when I click that, the question goes away, but the person gets a an email from me saying that they didn't provide enough information. And it also restates their question because I don't trust that they kept their sent email around or, or actually they filled out a form. So they don't have the question anymore, right? It goes away right. when they finish. So they get their question back right? So they can copy and paste or see what it is they wrote and they get text from me and it's automatic. So it only takes me a second to look at it and say, nope, nope, nope. I'm not getting enough information here. Hit the clarify it button and I'm done. Now, half the time, probably I haven't, I've never looked at statistics on this, but half the time I probably never hear back again. Right. <laughs> right. And it may be that they solve the problem because a lot of times that happens. People have a problem, they ask. And then while they're waiting for an answer, they figure it out on their own. I will admit to being that person on occasion. I have, sure. in fact, I have intentionally asked people the question because I know that seems to trigger some perverse nature in the universe that causes the answer oh, to yes. suddenly become apparent, apparent somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, no, that's definitely, definitely it. And also, uh, sometimes people ask in more than one place. So, yes. so yes. sure. So, so hitting the clarify it button, sometimes I never, I'm done, you know, I've solved my problem, which is to, <laughs> to finish with this. And, and sometimes I go in response and sometimes it's fine because the problem's been solved without me. Other times I will get a response and it'll be clarified. Now I can expand on that and I can have more buttons. I can have your basic, like, just give me more information. Like, I need to know, are you on a Mac, an iPad? What app are you in? A lot of times it's what app are you in? Like, mm -hmm. I can't select text for this and that and the other thing. Are you in Pages? Are you yes. in Microsoft Word? Or yep. What are you doing? I get the equivalent for yeah. that, you bet. So, so sometimes I may hit one clarified button. Maybe I create an XY button that explains in a couple <laughs> sentences that, oh, you're, you, you have an interesting problem, like encouraging them to yeah, stick with it here, stick with me here. You have an interesting problem, but I sense that there is a bigger reason why you're asking this. And maybe I can help you solve this problem very efficiently if you just took a step back and gave me the whole thing. So maybe I create more of these buttons 
This does sound like Eliza. It really does. Yes. <laughs> I sense you have a different problem than the one you're asking about. <laughs> I sense you have issues with your mother, and that is why you can't, your Bluetooth on your computer is having issues. Um, so, so I think I may expand on that. And fortunately, these things are unrelated. If I, if I change how my form works, um, it's still going to go to the same interface that I see. So I can now go and maybe add another button, uh, clarify it, clarify x y um and maybe maybe i should even go deeper and do more um and and that would help i think it will help continue the conversation even if i can't come up with a solution uh right away so so we'll see we'll see i i I do plan on trying to roll out something maybe this week where my uh, my form is different and is more in touch with the x y problem and and then see where that takes me um but anyway i think we've i think we've uh, yeah really no, it's a it's really interesting discussion yeah. and it's one i'm sure that well i actually i look forward to coming back to uh because yes. i want you to uh report back on your success or failure or what does or doesn't work and uh and as is common um i want to steal your ideas have you do yes, all the work definitely. and i'll take and i'll take the answers Hey, you know, could make the world a much more efficient place if I could solve the XY problem. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Or at least get my name on the Wikipedia page at some point for it. Anyway, Jerry Rosenzweig made a valiant attempt to <laughs> valiant solve the XY problem, and failed miserably <laughs> because he wasn't asking the right question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, what else is cool? So you've been watching a lot of TV lately. I, I, I have a bunch of stuff I want to talk about, but okay. um, all right. So I will I'll pick one because okay. I'll save stuff. Uh, I just finished watching a really good show uh, called The Capture. Okay. Uh, it's a six episode show that I'm not sure where it came from because it's partially BBC, partially some other production companies and things. And But it says Peacock Original because I actually watched it on Peacock, the streaming right. service from NBC, uh, which is the latest enter of the fray. Um, and uh, I actually signed up for the trial of Peacock specifically to watch this show because my wife heard about it. It is oh, a, so it, it was on the it's on the premium tier then. Yeah, okay. the first episode is available. The, yeah, the first episode is available for free. And let me tell you, they couldn't have picked a better one uh, because it was like basically watch the first episode. And I was like fumbling for the <laughs> how do we how do we Take get the, my the money? Trial? Yeah. <laughs> so it's a six. It's a basically uh, the capture is it's, it takes place in London, and it is about uh, uh, basically police uh, type investigations using video capture, which in London is far more prevalent than almost anywhere else in the world. I think they yes. say London is the most surveilled uh, city in the world. They have taken kind of the opposite approach to a lot of places in the United States where we have, you know, oh, privacy first and all of this. And they've just blanketed London with uh, TV cameras all feeding into law enforcement. That's right. not the show. That's reality. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know. Um, I get it. And I think a lot of that was uh, was due to the bombings of like the, the 80s yeah. and 90s and so forth. Yeah. They just so they needed went, the surveillance to, to cover for that. Yeah. Right. They went full into it. And this show basically deals with the idea of what if you can't trust what you're seeing? Mm-hmm. We all already know it's hard to trust recorded video. But what if you can't trust live video? video hmm. and and it is a you know every episode's a cliffhanger can't wait to start the next one and and the story pretty much resolved itself in six episodes um 
hopefully there's a season two because it was very good. So that's my my recommendation uh, cool. there for a show that uh, so I enjoyed. I was curious as to um, you know the Peacock because. Again, we're getting flooded with these streaming services. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quibi seems to have come and gone. I mean, they're still around, I'm sure, but you certainly don't hear anything. Yeah, about we tried. Them we tried watching a show on Quibi, and we was disappointed to find out that it hasn't all been put up there yet. So we did the trial, thinking that it was all up there. Oh, uh huh. And watched six episodes out of twelve, and then it's like new episodes next week. I'm like, well, uh, the trial's going to be over by next week, and it wasn't that good. Right, <laughs> I'm going right. to pay you money, so right. Oh uh, uh, yeah, that was the, so. That was not happening, but I'm surprised. Um, Peacock is an interesting model. I mean, they're certainly advertising the heck out of um, it's free, but of course, like you've uh, seen, um, you know, they have like everybody else. I'm sure they have premium content that is meant to entice you to uh, to 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 uh, fork over some money. They're trying to capture, haha, your credit card. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> How much is uh, Peacock? So Peacock, so the free tier gets you limited programming, right? right. And commercials. Okay. The first tier gets you, I think, I think all of their stuff, but some commercials. Okay. I, I'm not sure whether there might be some stuff that's only available at the higher tier. The higher tier promises to be everything with no commercials. So, so far, everything I've seen is available in the middle tier, as long as I'll pu- I put up with like two or three commercials during the course of the, of the show. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm trying. That's the trial. Anyway, I'm still just on the trial. Okay. Um, not sure if I'm going to go past the trial because, you know, it's weird. Peacock is shows reveals a mistake that networks made a long time ago. They, they, would sign deals for first runs of TV shows and not care about the reruns. Mm-hmm. So uh, sometimes NBC would actually create a show and it's their show and it didn't really matter. Sometimes they'd actually buy a show for first run rights and the show would be made by somebody else. I, the, one of the most famous examples is that Seinfeld was a Fox television production, but it wasn't on Fox TV. It was first run on NBC mm-hmm. and the, we got used to the fact that Seinfeld, it's ingrained in my head. Seinfeld's NBC, Friends, NBC, right? But these shows weren't owned by NBC. They just had the first one rights. And that means that you have, have Peacock now and you think, oh, great. Boy, that's going to be a big hit because they've got Seinfeld and Friends. Nope. Nope. <laughs> they don't have either one of those. <laughs> right. right. Um, and you have all these odd shows that are like, oh, that was a fun show years ago, but I'm not going to watch it and rerun. So... I'm not really sure what there is for me on Peacock. Right. Yeah, that was the other question. Is I mean, I find myself choosing a lot of these services not because of their catalog, but because of what's new, what they're producing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's the new Star Trek that got me on CBS All Access. It's um, um, it was Watchmen and Game of Thrones that got me on HBO. Um, you know, there's there's it was a couple of other things that that has me on on Showtime. Um, you know, there's a couple of other things that I know are coming on a couple of these networks. And that's how they, at least that's how they captured me. Now, I know that a couple of these streaming services are making a, just a bunch of money on things like Seinfeld and uh, Big Bang and yeah. uh, other shows that are in reruns. But those are shows that, uh, you know, are so 
immensely popular that they'll be watched forever. I think Simpsons falls into that same category, but there's yep. about two or three different channels that are uh, seem to be the all Simpsons channels these days or all services these days. Um, quite, quite surprising. It, it'll be interesting to see how things shake out in the long run because it is a very, very confusing marketplace. Now I have to ask, so you're running Peacock, of course, on your, what, Apple TV? Apple TV, yeah. How's their app? Uh, pretty bad. Okay. <laughs> well, it, it wasn't, I mean, uh, I guess, you know, it's fine. It, it's still better than anything that existed two years ago, right? You know, the standards move. Um, so two years ago, the type of stuff, you know, is what I would have expected. Uh, but, you know, stuff like I couldn't get it to work at first because I set out my computer. I signed up for Peacock, like an account. Mm-hmm. and the free tier. Okay, let me do the free tier. And then going to the uh, app, no matter how many times and different ways I typed in my password, it said, nope, there's, that's not the right password. I'm like, it is. I could type it on my computer exactly as the same way. You know? And there's even a method for uh, sending from, say, my iPhone to the Apple TV the password. So I don't have to type it. Right. Like, here's what I have stored. And when I do it on the iPhone, it's fine. When I do it on the app, nope. And it only, I eventually, I just said, okay, and I reset the password, and then it worked. And I was like, well, there's obviously some glitch, and I believe the glitch was that the number, the characters for passwords, were, the requirements were different. I had some dashes and other characters wow. in the password on, on the computer that it said was were fine, and I believe it was not in the app. It was not accepting those characters, and that's you know I made sure they weren't included. So there was stuff like that, stuff like um, you can't tell where you are in the episode. Like usually, well, there's most no progress apps, bar. Yeah, there is a progress bar. It's odd to get to it. You have to pause, and then you have to like tap like you're going to move. Most other apps, you pause and immediately it shows yeah. you your progress. Yep. Yep. So for a while, we were very much like oh, and also you can't do it during a commercial. So, you, right. of course, that's when you want to do it. You're like, oh, commercial, how much longer do we have? Are we almost done? Should we, you know, return to this tomorrow night? Or where are we in the episode? And right. it's like, nope, got to wait to the end of the commercial to find out where we are in the episode. So weird stuff like that that sounds complain. It sounds like I'm being complainy, but. You know, no, you your, your complaints are, are, are very, very valid. And, and you've heard me say this before, that one of the things that is consistent across almost all all of the streaming apps, regardless of the platform, regardless of the service, is that they all pretty much suck. And <laughs> yeah. they all, but what's, what's even more frustrating is that they all suck in their own unique ways, which yep. means that, you know, for someone like you or I, who's fairly nimble when it comes to technology, it's like, okay, great. YouTube TV works this way. Netflix works that way. Hulu works this way. Um, you know, Peacock works whatever way. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the quote unquote average consumer, who's not necessarily as tech tolerant as we are, um, I, that just seems like a, like a, a huge, huge problem. Uh, and there's, I think that there's uh, hopefully some opportunity for some uh, either aggregation, which yeah. I, have, I have not played with Prime Video to understand if when you get a service through Prime Video, are you getting it through their interface or do you just have another way to get to the original interface from that service? Mm. Um, you know, an yeah. aggregator would be nice, a single, a single interface. Um, or will some of these apps start converging on a common user interface? And I'm, I, I honestly don't know because I think they're all going to be competing 
uh, for, you know, we've got this unique feature and we've got this unique feature and that's all going to be incompatible with the other unique features. So I'm, I'm, I am frustrated by the user interfaces across, across the board. Yep. I know it definitely is a, is a problem going from one app to the other. And you got to remember what's different about each one and all that. I think it'll, I think things will become standardized just like websites have for the most part grown closer, you know, how long has that taken? Oh yeah, that's right. It's (laughs) taken 20 years. Uh, Hopefully we can move faster apps you know, at mobile apps took less time, you know, and then now there's an idea of some, there's some True. standards True. in mobile apps, at least when the developers kind of hit, you know, the ground, they, they, they know all the menu, you know, is supposed to look like this and it's supposed to come up in these ways. And uh, so hopefully, yep. anyway, yep. what, uh, so for self-promotion yeah, this prof, week, you have something interesting here. Yeah. I'm going to go way, way, way off topic. Um, uh, we're going to remove the, uh, the original, the original uh, title of, of our podcast, of course, was Tech Enthusiast Hour. I'm going to set aside the tech for a minute and just go for enthusiast. <laughs> okay. um, I am, uh, this Saturday, I will be a co-host at a nonprofit virtual fundraiser. I guess there's technology involved because it's all going to be virtual. Mm. I think I mentioned last week that I've been editing and editing and editing and playing with videos and living in Camtasia. And a lot of that is the ramp up for this. But this Saturday, we're actually having our live auction and I'm going to be the MC, not the auctioneer. It's very different the way you do auctions on a live, um, you know, in a, uh, uh, an online venue like that, because even though it's live, it's not really live. Uh, the best YouTube streaming can give you is about a 20 second delay. And that's about, um, you know, that's more than enough to uh, completely invalidate the traditional in-person uh, bidding approach that one might use for uh, for a live auction. So we're doing something a little bit different uh, that another number of other places have done. Uh, we'll be showing some videos and ha- we have a silent auction, a couple of other things. There will be corgis uh, or so I've been told. Um, uh, Lord knows I videoed enough corgis, so there better be corgis. Um, Anyway, it's it's all um, you know for this for this organization that I work for called Wasart, uh, the Washington State Animal Response Team, where the folks that uh, you know if your horse falls off or can't get up or your dog falls off a cliff while you're hiking or can't make it back down the trail, uh, we're an organization that does what they call technical animal rescue, and we'll come out and and hopefully help you pick up your horse or find your you know get your dog to back down the back down the hill. Awesome. And, uh, we had a live event scheduled, uh, and like almost every live event on the planet over the last few months, we had to cancel it for for the uh, for all the obvious reasons. So we've gone completely virtual. And that's what I'm doing on Saturday. I've been working up to that, um, and we'll be breathing a sigh of relief come Sunday. Cool. So. I actually went to a live event uh, this last week, a drive-in movie. Cool. Which is one of the the things of 2020, right? Yep. Is the resurgence yep. of drive-in. The resurgence movie. So, of the drive-in movie. So I got I got to get one in there, and that was kind of interesting. Um, anyway, the uh, URL is is wasart w a s a r t dot org slash raise the hoof, and of course, there's a link in the show notes. Raise the hoof. I love it. Um, cool. And uh, I was going to do something much more selfish and just promote my own stuff. Uh, <laughs> no, I just I've I've been which is why this course. segment is here after yeah. all, right? We don't um, have any sponsors, so we yeah, get to promote. I feel our own like stuff. There's, there's no cute. Actually, actually, that's not true. There is a cute animal involved. Excellent. Uh, my, my new keynote course 
I, I put a new keynote course. I'm using Mac Keynote, the presentation tool for Macs. Uh, I put a new course up there. And the example that I build throughout the entire course uh, involves wombats. So it's basically I build a presentation called Facts About Wombats. Excellent. So anyway, it, I'll put, there'll be a link if you're interested in learning uh, how to use Keynote. I've got a new course on that. Have you seen wombats in person? I have. Boy, that's a good question. I love wombats. They're one of my favorite animals. Yep. And I've seen tons of video of them. I'm trying to think. It would have been in a zoo. Cause I definitely didn't see them either at the time I was down in Australia. So we, um, we definitely did. Um, they are bigger than you think. Oh, yeah. Um, they're, they're, they're incredibly cute. Yes, I agree. And yeah. yes, one of the we didn't come back with many souvenirs just because how much stuff do you really need? But we did come back with a stuffed wombat. Cool. Well, if you, <laughs> when you take my keynote course, not only do you learn how to use keynote, but you learn many facts about wombats. Awesome. Including many that I may or may not have just made up. So <laughs> anyway. All righty. Well, so much for this show. Um, hopefully the edit in the middle won't have been too distracting. The show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh110, as in 110. If you have a comment or a question for us, you know to hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at the TEH Podcast, or you can always leave a comment on the show notes page. Thanks, as always, for listening, and we will see you here again next week. Yep, bye-bye. Bye.